Hello everyone. Welcome to Women Decode STEM, a weekly podcast where we talk to remarkable women in the STEM field, from engineers to leaders, teachers to entrepreneurs, and discuss about career, work culture, gender equality, mentorship, and much more. I'm your host, Neha Savanor. Today's guest is Rebecca Bastian. She is an entrepreneur, writer, author, artist, mentor, wife, mother, and an aerial acrobat. After 15 years at Zillow, with roles including Vice President of Product and Vice President of Community and Culture. She's now the CEO and co-founder of OwnTrail. I'm excited to talk to her about her journey of transitioning from VP at Zillow to an entrepreneur. We'll also be talking about her book, Blaze Your Own Trail, how she got started with OwnTrail and making mentorship more accessible. Hi, Rebecca. Welcome to the show. Hi. Thank you for having me. Yeah, great to have you here. First of all, I wanted to ask you how you feel about the transition you made into entrepreneurship. It's been really fun is the short answer. <laughs> it's, um, you know, I left my, my very comfortable corporate executive job that I really loved right when the pandemic was hitting. So it's been kind of a weird time to be going out on my own, but also, you know, in a lot of ways more meaningful than ever. Um, with with what we're doing, really focused on advancing women individually and systemically, it's it's more relevant now than than it has been in, in quite a while, and um, so that's just been really fun. Just working every day on something that I care so deeply about, and um, and exciting. Startup life is exciting. <laughs> yeah, for sure it is. Uh, but do you miss anything about being in a structured work environment and the benefits that come with being employed, like? Um, what are some of the things that you have to get adjusted to when you're an entrepreneur and taking care of everything by yourself? Well, I mean, when it's an early stage startup, you definitely wear more hats just because there's there's fewer people to delegate things to or, you know, none. There's only three of us full time right now. So we all do a lot of things. Um, and, you know, obviously there's, you know, in the very early days, you, you take pay cuts and don't necessarily have benefits and all those things to start with so th- there's that I mean I definitely kind of weighed the the risks and the trade-offs and um kind of mitigated some of that when making this decision um but honestly like the we still have a lot of structure in terms of you know there's only three of us and we have this huge roadmap and this huge huge vision and so we need to be extremely intentional about how we spend our time and how we measure what we're doing and you know how we collaborate and what we're working on. So in that sense, we do have structure. Um, my co-founder Katie is actually the the one that's really good at keeping us on track with, with structure. And so we have that, but also we have the flexibility to, you know, make decisions quickly and um, just, you know, roll up our sleeves and, and work as fast as we can as well. So it's, I, I really like this, the startup experience. I joined Zillow in the very early days when it was still a very stealth startup. And I remember really loving that experience as well. And it's even more exhilarating when it's your own company. That's awesome. Yeah, it's definitely an advantage if you have uh, one or more team members working with you from the beginning. <laughs> that's mm-hmm. good to know. Yeah. yeah, we have an incredible team. So that, that's huge. That's awesome. Um, kind of to preface what you do at OwnTrail, you previously led the community and culture team at Silo. So how did you move from product into this space? Yeah, so first I was leading product at Silo and then moving into community and culture. That was, um, that was a move that was really based on following my passions. I've been doing a lot of work 
in that space for several years as side projects, really thinking about creating social impact through our products, um, getting more diverse representation into our product org, um, and really just how we keep alive a, a culture that was really great organically, but that as you scale, you need to become more and more intentional about how you grow it. So those were all things that I cared a lot about, and I just kind of realized one day that the things I was most excited about at work were my side projects, and that you know I, I really had a strong vision for how we could make that more of a central focus of the company. So. I pitched that vision and iterated on it as I was pitching it and, you know, got, got buy-off and got excitement and really um, had a ton of support. I think my timing was really good in that we were big enough as a company to really invest in that space and hadn't fully done so yet. So um, I was able to form a really incredible world-class team there working on those very areas. And um, it, was, it was fun. It was of, you know, it felt kind of scary to me just on a on a personal level going from a space that I was really established and, you know, very much an expert in into a space where I was going to have a huge learning curve and going from identity of being, you know, a woman in product, a woman in tech to um, essentially sitting in the HR department <laughs> and, and that felt weird to me and it made me nervous, but that was all just nerves leading up to a change. And once I took that leap, you know, it was still me and I was using all the skills and experiences I already had and applying them to something new. And I think right now we're seeing that uh, culture is a need to have more than a good to have. So mm-hmm. I think it was good that uh, you got started early. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I think, and, you know, as I'm building my own company now, like from day one, we're really intentional about the, the culture of both internally the company we're building and what that means in terms of you know for the, for the women using the platform. Uh, so what was your inspiration behind starting on trail? It actually came from a book I wrote. Um, I had a book that came out earlier this year called Blaze Your Own Trail and um, which is this kind of choose your own adventure exploration into women's life paths. It had gotten signed with a publisher Eric Kohler who was amazing and um, was waiting for the book to come out. And I started playing around with what I thought would be a cool book launch platform. And it just ended up really taking on a life of its own. I started having some really big ideas around problems to be solving in this space and how we could solve them. And I attracted some really incredible people, both as team members and advisors that were also excited about the space. Um, and ultimately, the, the three of us that are full-time now ended up quitting our jobs and, and going after it. And it's, um, so it's kind of that accidental entrepreneurship that, that led us here. But it was like, by the time we realized what we were onto and, and kind of having the vision around what we could be building, we were like, there's no way we cannot do this. You know, <laughs> this, is, this is what we were meant to be building. Yeah, I really love the concept behind Own Trail. And uh, I think towards the end, we can show how the platform looks like and uh, take a look at how your trail and my trail looks like. Yeah, and then we're also going to dive into your book a little later. I would love to talk to you more about it. One of the themes of Own Trail is mentorship. So in your personal experience, do you see a huge gap in someone who wants to find a mentor and actually having access to a mentor, especially for women? Yeah, definitely. I mean, like we, when we first started Ontrail, we were really talking a lot about redefining mentorship. And the reason we were talking about that is because there's all these problems, both at the systemic level that impact us as women and at the individual level, how, how we react to those systems that, um, 
you know, essentially lead us to saying, I need a mentor or I want to be a mentor. I want to move back to those coming up behind me. And so what we, what we knew though, was that about 75% of women aren't giving or getting the mentorship that they want to be. So yeah, it's really not accessible. Oftentimes because one-on-one mentorship is very time consuming. It doesn't scale. And um, we don't always have access to the people that, um, that we might want to be giving or getting mentorship from. Especially, you know, I think identity is really important there and being able to see people who look like us in the places we aspire to. We don't always have access to that in, in our immediate purview. And so um, those are the reasons that we thought, well, we could, we could redefine this to be something different. And we really think about mentorship, um, both the mentorship that comes from own trail, but also the way that we've kind of lived our lives is this kind of many-to-many model, which is that you're not going to get everything you need from a single person, and you're not going to be able to scale your time to have these, you know, one-on-one mentorship conversations with all these different people. And so how can we be sharing, you know, we kind of call these micro-acts of mentorship, women sharing their trails through life, or sharing, you know, answering questions or contributing to conversations in a way that reaches so many more women, and it reaches them in a way that, you know, where they are and and, um, how they need it. So um, that's really what, what defined kind of the foundation of our product, which is, you know, this, this large collection of women's life paths. And we're really building on top of that to create community um, in which women can be lifting ourselves and each other up and mobilizing to change the very systems that, that hold us back. Yeah, um, that's a good point about uh, micro-mentorship. Do you see it making it easier for people to find guidance through micro-mentorships? Are you already seeing it on your platform? So what we have right now, with live, what's live currently on ownTrail.com, is the ability for women to share their trails through life as a series of interconnected milestones, both you know where you've been and also where you aspire to be going, and um, and then browse through the trails of other women um, and filtering those down if you choose to those that share your same identities or experiences, and um, that's really valuable in and of itself. It gives a lot of inspiration of, of where you could be going and ideas around how you might get there. And what we're, what we're really focused on now is taking that foundation to the next level where we really build out more features and more programs to create connection and community amongst the women on there and really giving frameworks for how to navigate this large data set in a way that is most you know, inspiring or provides the most solidarity or provides the most kind of diverse viewpoints into different experiences. And so that's, we're really kind of going from that share and browse experience into this really kind of more multidimensional community experience. Yeah, that's really interesting take on um, how you're kind of democratizing uh, mentorship and access to people based on their individual stories. That's amazing. Um, and I've seen like thousands of women have already added their trails on own trail. And you have been writing about this on Forbes as well. So I'm just curious, have you been getting a lot of mentorship requests since you started building on trail and writing about it? Um, I mean, I, I have people reach out to me and I usually try to say yes to anyone that feels like I could be helpful in chatting with them. I think that making time and really paying things forward is, is so valuable. Plus, you know, I think there's this, this kind of um, misguided belief that mentorship is one directional, like there's a mentor and a mentee and like the mentor is like teaching or coaching on something and the mentee is learning something. And like, that's never been the case for me. Like everyone I talk with, um, regardless of what they might think they might be getting out of the conversation, like I learned so much from different people. And it's really like 
years and years of having just countless conversations with with different women who are navigating their lives that really has given me the inspiration both for the book I wrote and for own trail and so that's hugely tangible benefit I you know if you can make the time and connect in that way and if it's enjoyable I, I always encourage people to do that yeah, I completely agree with that. It's bi-directional. Talking about the technical aspects of own trail, like how are you using the trails and the data behind the trails to build better solutions and connections for the users? Yeah, so there's a ton we can do from the, the data standpoint there, which we're really excited about. And we've just started scratching the surface up. So we've been working on, um, we actually have a really amazing data science advisor that's been helping us with a lot of this so far, but we're working on kind of creating models and algorithms for how you find um, the most relevant trails for someone to be exploring, right? And so relevant can mean a few different things. It could be like you know, someone who shares your same identities or experiences and might give you more solidarity. It might be someone who is in places that you aspire to that can give you more inspiration for how to get there. It could be people that have really notable differences in identities and experiences and that provide you this really kind of diverse point of view on on what's what's out there, what's possible. And so creating those algorithms, which we're just kind of doing on the back end right now, but like with that, we'll be able to both um, create much more personalized and um, impactful kind of browsing experience on the platform. And um, we have this new cohort model that we've just been rolling out in which we bring groups of women together to navigate and explore this kind of framework around the own trail data and mission. And we'll be using that that, that same kind of um, data science and relevancy to curate these cohorts in the future in terms of bringing women together in the most impactful way. Um, but then also, you know, there's huge gaps in the data that we understand about women's lives just in terms of what's out there. You know, part of as part of my book, I was doing a ton of research because I weave a lot of data into the plot line. And that's how I realized, like, especially when you're trying to look from an intersectional perspective of the different identities that women hold and what they experience in life, mm-hmm. huge, huge gaps in data. And there's faulty data too, because when systems are um, are holding us back, then the data that comes out of that is kind of the bias in, bias out thing. So that is all to say that we think in addition to really um, – powerful user experiences using that data to, to guide it. But we can also really change the very systems that are impacting us by filling in some of those gaps in the data. And, um, you know, basically the vision being that we're both sitting at the tables where decisions are made about us, which is not always the case right now. And the data that's informing those decisions is really holistic and, um, and thorough. And so we feel like with Ontra, we can really impact the systems from both of those sides. I've been doing a little bit of research myself on this data of women in STEM. And that is just uh, touching the surface. That is not even as deep as you're going um, with the interconnections of how their life is. And I couldn't find the right amount of data, whether it's only in the United States or worldwide, like I wasn't able to find the number of women who are in the uh, STEM space. So yeah, there is definitely a lack of data and we need to build build that up. Yeah, for sure. So another question I had was, do you see Own Trail being an alternative to social media for women to build connections? Yeah, I think, you know, we don't really think of ourselves as social media, but I think that's not what people really need right now. So, um, like with, with kind of traditional social media, it's a profile-based network, which really lends itself to kind of a winner-takes-all model, which means you're trying to get the most friends or followers or likes or um, or whatever the paradigm is for the platform. 
And it, that really, it doesn't create authenticity, right? You're, cause you're trying to win. And that's why, you, you know, that's why I think we're craving authenticity more than ever is because you look around and you see all these really kind of picture perfect end results, you know, the social media facade that, um, that is not true to what our experiences really look like and can leave us feeling like we're not doing it right or we're not doing enough or we're alone in our struggles. And so with Ownchill, like, yes, we want to be living in those connections. We see it as a content-based network as opposed to a profile-based network which means that it's the content that brings us together. So it's not about who has the most likes or followers, but it's about, you know, what experiences are going to resonate the most with us. And so that really breeds more authentic sharing. And, um, and yes, I think as we build out this feature set and really enable deeper connection between women on the platform, and um, then I think that it very much can replace a lot of the, the systems that are draining us and instead fill us up. You know, we think about creating the intention economy instead of the attention economy, which means like if you end up spending a half hour on own trail, you're going to leave feeling more inspired and better and more invigorated as opposed to, you know, I can just go sit and scroll Facebook or, <laughs> or Instagram for a half hour and feel worse about myself afterwards, you know? And so really how do we fill people up? And I think that absolutely as that really takes off, then you don't, you know, it, kind of replaces the need for for these other models. That's something I've been struggling with on like social media. I haven't been able to make authentic connections because all you see is the pictures and you don't really have an idea of the person that's behind the, the pictures. And uh, we're all defined by, like you said, likes, comments or follows. So yeah, this could be a space where we can all connect authentically, have a good look at what's happened in our life before, where we are going and uh, build meaningful connections. Yeah. Yeah. That's the vision. Absolutely. You, you spoke a little bit about the cohorts that you're rolling out. Um, in the big picture, what is the next step for Ontario? Yeah, so it really is, um, you know, both building out a feature set for all women to access how they want to. That's really around both um, basically bridging from inspiration into action as we, you know, both, you know, keep growing the, our user base and keep growing the, the data set of trails that are shared there. But then really creating those deeper ways for women to, so like, for example, right now we're working on a feature called um, around conversations on that are kind of tied to different categories. So each milestone that women shares in her life is normalized by a predefined category that we have. And, and that's a way of kind of normalizing the data. But like, these are categories that are essentially shared experiences. So for example, all women who have experienced self-doubt could come together around that category and have, have a conversation about it. Or all women that you know, have or aspire to start a business could come together around that to discuss it. For all women who have or are currently experiencing fertility issues could, could have that discussion. And so, you know, there's about 40 different categories that we have so far. So being able to have those conversations um, around those shared experiences is an example of one of the features that, that we're building out or that we're envisioning that really serves all women and brings us together more deeply. Um, but yeah, then the cohort model is really um, on top of that, taking it to the next level in terms of really kind of the action-oriented drive where we've created this whole cycle that goes around um, reflection and then imagination and then aspiration and then action. And and then that's cyclical. So um, we have activities for, for women to do both themselves and together as a group in order to go through these different phases and really, you know, kind of go to that next step in terms of um, where where they're going in their lives and how they're approaching it. 
That's awesome. I can't wait to see all of that. And have you raised any funding or you're looking to raise funding for own trail? Yes, um, we raised $250,000 earlier in the year, actually right when the pandemic was hitting, which was interesting. Wow. Um, yeah. <laughs> so um, I'm out there raising a seed round again right now. So talking about different, some really amazing investors for that. And um, I don't know when this podcast airs, if, if I'll still be raising at that time or not. But, um, but yeah, we're looking to to raise enough to really take us to that next level in terms of our roadmap and grow the team a bit and um, hopefully not to raise again for another 18 months or so. <laughs> it's like fundraising is both really interesting because you get to talk to so many different people and you get so many different perspectives, but it's super time consuming. And I'm essentially doing two jobs at once during that period of time. So oh, yes. yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. Um, and I recently read an article that you wrote on Forbes, I think it was a couple of days ago, and you spoke a little bit about like inequity in fundraising. Uh, do you want to talk a little bit about that, especially for the audience who belong to minority groups? Uh, mm-hmm. They're looking to raise funds and they don't have access. So how could we make it more accessible to them? Yeah, I mean, yes, in the article um, in Forbes was really focused on um, like speaking to investors about what they can be doing because really like that's what needs to resolve the problem here, you know. Um, and it's definitely was driven by my own experience, which some of it's been really positive. But I think that like there, there definitely are a lot of inequities. The different categories that I kind of outlined in the article, you know, first one being just who our networks are, right? Like, for example, so many people say like, oh, go raise friends and family money first before, you know, talking to investors. And it's like, okay, not everyone has like super rich friends and family, right? <laughs> or, is, or is able to bootstrap themselves or whatever. So like even that, that kind of guidance or expectation is extremely inequitable or, you know, investors that rely on their current networks and only want to talk to founders through warm introductions. It's like, okay, well, if your network's not very diverse, then you're just propagating the same cycles of, of kind of, who's already been invested in. So that network piece, I think, is, is a huge part of it. And then um, the other part, the other area is pattern matching. So it's really like, you know, historically, when you look at kind of the profiles of who's been funded most so far, it's, you know, white, male, able-bodied, cisgendered teams who have gone to Harvard and Stanford worked at like Facebook or Google or Microsoft or Amazon and lives in Silicon Valley. Like that's the best majority of profiles. So if you're trying to pattern match and say who's been successful before and I want to bet on them, then you're betting on the same people and you're not, you know, you're not opening it up to the huge amount of potential. You know, I really like the quote around um, potential being evenly distributed, but opportunity is not. And this is, you know, an extreme example of that where, you know, there's, there's so many different founders with huge potential, but no, no one's betting on them because they don't match the existing patterns. So breaking through that kind of thinking is, is a big piece too. And then also just when you look at um, the investment teams and a lot of funds, it also is very kind of skews towards white male. And um, I think that that, you know, people are, there's a lot of research that shows that people are more likely to invest in others that kind of they see themselves in. So, you know, that leads to a lot of it as well. So like for me, I'm, you know, we are an all women leadership team that is building a product for women. And so that doesn't match a lot of the patterns, you know, and that's even with like, I have a really, you know, strong network and I came from executive career at Zillow. So it's not like um, I'm a total underdog here. I hold a lot of privileges, but even then, you know, it's been some really interesting barriers or just people not 
you know, I think the most common quote is like, well, you're still too early. And it's like, well, I know it's not just about time because you see them writing checks to a lot of people with an idea in their heads that happen to look a lot more like they do, you know? So it's about just really understanding the founders and the problem space and, and kind of um, pushing yourselves past what, what you already know sometimes, you know? Completely agree with that. Being on the other side, like um, looking at the pattern that you mentioned, it's kind of demotivating looking at that and saying, okay, I don't match any of those. So I'm not going to get funding. So yeah, if you change the metrics, then I, I hope that a lot of uh, folks who don't belong to that group can get uh, funding in the future. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's given me even more fuel for working on what we're working on because we're like, we are changing these systems. We're going to rebuild them in a way that serves everybody much more equitably. And, you know, even just going through this experience <laughs> myself has, has given me more, um, even more enthusiasm for that mission. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I'm right there with you. Uh, now I want to talk about the most exciting part, your book. <laughs> Can you tell us a little bit about the process of writing this book? Because it's, it's so different the way you've written it. It's like the readers get to choose the path, the chapters that they want to read. It's a little bit like how we choose uh, the next step in our life, right? So how did you come up with this concept? Um. Yeah, so the, the idea just kind of came to me. I mean, you know, I was familiar with like the Choose Your Own Adventure books that I read when I was a kid. And I definitely am someone who thinks in decision trees a lot, probably coming from my product management background. Um, but I, and then I think like the, the message behind the book is one that's been sitting with me for quite a while, which is there is no one right path. And we're not alone in our experiences, you know, and that's something that like from so many different conversations I've had with women over the years, it's like a message that I feel like is really important to be sharing. And so the format for kind of experientially embracing those ideas through, you know, like you said, you, the reader makes a choice at the end of each chapter, which tells them where to go next. So like you, the reader, are the young woman starting out in her kind of adult life. And then it, you know, it spans probably a couple decades of her life through different decisions and experiences um that you know my my hope is that it helps women embrace that you know they're not getting it wrong there's no one right path and we can be okay through all these different twists and turns that life might bring us and you know for everyone reading it not just women that hopefully it creates a little more compassion around the the different experiences that others might be going through um even when they're not our own experiences so kind of walking in someone's shoes kind of model that's awesome. So for this uh, experience, did you include like real life experiences from women in your life or uh, how, how did you go about it? Yeah, I mean, you'll never know which ones are. <laughs> some of them are my own stories, some are stories of friends, some things I just made up and did research on. So it's definitely a collection of all those things. And um, I mean, there's so many different paths and experiences in the book that, you know, some of them even being mutually exclusive. So it definitely can't all the experiences of one person, but um, I have a lot of close friends that I've gotten to go through a lot of different life experiences with. So I have quite a bit of first-hand knowledge that went into it as well. Yeah, it looks like you've, been, you've put in quite a lot of research into this. So, uh, like, how, how long did you take to uh, publish it? It wasn't too long, actually. Like, once I got the idea in my head, which was literally just something I woke up in the middle of the night with the idea for the book, um, I did about five months of writing the first draft. And towards the end of that is when I connected with my publisher and ended up signing a contract with them. And then from when I signed the contract to um, it being live was a year. 
So that included finishing up the first draft, going through a few rounds of edits, and then all the production stuff around like cover design and audiobook and editing and um, obviously distribution and everything. So um, it was a fun process. I had, this is my first book, so I didn't know anything about what to expect. And I think I completely hit the jackpot both with um, my editor, Anna Weinberger, who I worked with, um, and she was she's employed at Baron Kohler, which is the publisher, and just working with everyone there was really amazing. So I think I got really lucky with my my first book experience, and hopefully any future ones will will be with the same kind of group of people too. Yeah, it was fun reading it as well. Of course, I couldn't relate to everything in the book because I'm uh, yeah. like I yeah. didn't live in the U- U.S. Uh, like for that long, but still, you can put your own twist into all of those chapters, and uh, it was fun. I had a good time reading the book. Thank you. Yeah, that was it for the questions I had for you today. But before we wrap up, I have a rapid fire round for you. Okay. Okay, let's get started. First question. Describe yourself in one word. Um, energetic. Okay. Uh, second question. What is one attribute that others appreciate about you? Um, problem solving. Okay. Yeah, product manager. <laughs> <laughs> Last question. What is your favorite hobby? Um, aerial acrobatics. Awesome. Thank you, Rebecca. I'm going to leave your um, contact details on uh, the show notes of the podcast so listeners can connect with you. Perfect. Thank you. Thank you so much, Rebecca. Thank you so much for listening to Women Decode STEM. If you're new here, please take a minute to subscribe to our podcast and leave a review on iTunes. It helps me get my message out to a wider audience. All the social links to my guests are in the show notes. I will talk to you next week. Until then, I hope you have a great day and the rest of the week ahead. Bye.